So before we jump into our teaching time today in Matthew chapter 13, I just want to share a couple of brief words of introduction. So first of all, uh, maybe some of you who are newer don't know this, but those of you who have been around know that about a month ago, uh, I announced, my wife and I announced, that we have discerned the Lord is leading us into a new season come this summertime, and I'll be stepping out of my role as the, the lead pastor, as the preaching pastor for Sound City, and following him into what's next for us. Um, I shared that that was a very difficult decision to come to, a very um, sad in many ways decision to come to, but that we are very confident that the Lord um, is leading us in this direction, and so it's been very bittersweet. And I just want to say that over the last month since we made that announcement, um, this church family has been just beyond encouraging and loving to me and to my wife. I talked to a pastor buddy of mine about a week ago on the phone, and I said, man, if there was some sort of a script that I could write out, uh, y'all have followed it, and you're definitely making the bitter part of the bittersweet even more so because just the emails, the texts, the letters, handwritten letters, gifts, words of encouragement in the hallway has just been nothing short of amazing. So thank you. Thank you for loving me and my family well in this season. And uh, I just want to offer you that word of encouragement because we always said from day one, Sound City Bible Church is not built on one person or one leader or any such thing. This church is built on Jesus Christ and his gospel. Amen? And part of what has been so encouraging in this season as well is watching so many people step up to the plate to serve and to lead. That is a huge joy and a huge blessing to me. We've had people been emailing, let me get involved in kids. Let me help teach the children about the gospel. Hey, let me help uh, run the Sunday morning slides. Hey, do you need anybody to help, you know, set up for the women's event coming up next week? I've been so encouraged and so blessed by how many of you are really stepping up to the plate to say, I want to serve, I want to contribute, while the elders are working and talking and praying together about the future and how we kind of go about making this transition a good one and a smooth one. And I'll say chief among that, chief among that has been the encouragement that uh, my brother Jeremiah, who you're about to hear from, has offered to me personally. Um, I first met Jeremiah in, what did you say? It was January of 2019. Yeah, uh, we met at a place called Big E's Ales that is no longer in business. We shut him down, man, we did it. Um, and he had just moved with his wonderful family up from... Uh, sunny Southern California, and then here we were meeting in rainy January. I don't know what you're thinking, but uh, we met together, and he shared with me some of his story, shared with me some of his journey, and Jeremiah and his wife Stacy. Stacy was up here rocking the bass earlier today, so she's a killer musician and just a, a boatload of fun. So Jeremiah and Stacy have become uh, fun people that me and my wife like to hang out with, but Jeremiah also told me back then, over four years ago, that he had served as an elder of a church plant, and that, you know, he'll share a little bit more about it, but things hadn't maybe gone the way he had hoped and that he really sensed the Lord still leading him towards service in the church in that role at some point in the future. And so Jeremiah, for the last better part of nine months, has been going through a process of testing and training and participating in elder meetings. And him getting up to stand up here and teach and preach from God's word is part of that process. Uh, myself and Jason and Myung and his wife Stacy had the opportunity to sit and listen to him teach through his message uh, earlier this week and go over the notes and provide input and feedback. And um, I'll just tell you this, Jeremiah has been just such an encouraging presence and an encouraging brother to me personally in my life. When, when, when Jeremiah walks into the room, I have this kind of feeling of like, oh, everything's going to be okay. And if you know anybody, you know, squirrely people like me, we need people like that in our lives 
to help us not freak out. And so uh, I'm really grateful for Jeremiah. I'm grateful for Stacy. Grateful for the message that he's about to deliver from the, the book of Matthew. So I'm going to invite Jeremiah to come up. I'm going to invite Haziel to come forward and read our scripture for us. So if you have your Bibles, want to open to Matthew 13, you can do that. And as they're coming up here, uh, would you just join with me in a word of prayer for our time together today? Lord, we thank you for this church family that you have brought us together. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to open the scriptures, to open your word, and to see amazing things about the truths of the gospel and what it is that you're doing. And Lord, today as we look at this very evangelistic passage, Lord, I pray that you would give us a hope and a heart to see the gospel really take root, not just in our own hearts, but in the lives of those that we know around us. And Lord, I just want to pray a special blessing over Jeremiah right now as he opens your word and teaches us. Would you fill him anew with your spirit, even right now in this moment? And would you give each person who's here a soft and a teachable heart that we would have those soft, uh, that good soil sort of heart to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, Haziel, you want to read for us? All right, this is God's word, Matthew 13. On the day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down, while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the, the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly, since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit. Some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times was what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. Amen. Thank you, Asiel. I always appreciate an opportunity just to say your name, Asiel. So good. Good morning, guys while it's still morning. So obviously I was here this morning at 9. I generally, my family and I come and worship at 11. And this morning I had a really good reminder why that is. <laughs> so not only was it early and very cold, guys, I had to unfreeze my car this morning. I grabbed the knob and I pulled it and there was just, there was just a cracking sound. Nothing happened. I did not sign up for this. I need to have a word with a certain groundhog. Anybody with me? So, um, yeah, like Aaron mentioned, we're going to be going, we're continuing our series on stories of the kingdom, the parables of Jesus, and today is the parable of the sower, or what we like to call the one about a farmer planting seeds. And um, this particular parable is about evangelism. So I'm going to share with you a little bit about my, my story, how I came to know the Lord. Um, but first, since I, it's my first time up here, I thought I'd share a little bit about myself, some personal information. Um, as, he met, as Aaron mentioned, I'm from San Diego, California, born and raised down there. Um, I have, uh, was raised by a single mom, had one brother, uh, a lot of family down there, still down there, actually. And um, met my wife in... San Diego in 2003. She was coming to a Bible study I was teaching. 
Back then, we called them home fellowships. Anybody remember that one? Basically, a community group, just a small group of people coming together during the week. And she shows up, she showed up one day, and the rest was history. So this year, we're celebrating 19 years of marriage. Praise God for that. And praise God for a very patient and tolerant wife. We have four children, um, ranging in age from five to 18, because we love adventure. Where Aaron said we were fun, that's why we're fun. My oldest daughter just turned 18. It's like still sinking in a little bit. It's a big one. So I said, I became a believer in about 19, around 1993. And... Um, I was still living in San Diego at the time. I was invited to attend a Harvest Crusade. Anybody ever heard of that one? It's a three-day traveling crusade out of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. The pastor there is, is Greg Laurie. They, I kind of, I call it like a, like a tent revival kind of model of, of evangelism. Like they travel from town to town, you get a band together and a few speakers, spend three nights there, usually like a stadium or something like that. And um, they preach a very powerful gospel message towards the end. They do an altar call, which never happens here. <laughs> but an altar call is, for those that don't know, it's essentially the preacher preaches a message, and then they encourage the people in the crowd to come down forward and make a public proclamation of their new faith, a profession of faith. That happens all three nights. On the third night, I felt a stirring in my heart. I spent that whole evening listening to music and having fun and really, honestly, between you and I, just talking to this girl that I was working with. She invited me to come, and where she was going, I was going. So if motive was important, I would be dead where I stand. So I spent the whole evening, and then towards the end, the, the keynote speaker, you could say, Pastor Greg Laurie, preached a message about the prodigal son, and all at once, I, I just knew the message was for me. It's like the, the scales fell from my eyes, my heart, and I understood that God was very real, that he loved me, that I belonged to him, and that the sin problem that I had, he had taken care of. And I've never been the same since that night. I remember crawling, getting into my, my Aunt Rose's 1985 Chevy Caprice and just feeling like I was floating. It was an amazing time. And the following Sunday, I went to church and um, they were talking about the numbers. The stadium attended this many thousand people over the three nights. And out of those three, this many thousand people, these, this many hundred made a public profession of faith. If I remember correctly, the night that I was there, something like 200 people came down to that sports field at Jack Murphy Stadium and um, made a profession of faith. And so we know where one of those people ended up, right? <laughs> it turned out well, I'd say. Praise be to God. Um, but I can't help think about the other 199 or so people that night and then the other two nights. Where did they go? It would be great if we could say with assurance that 100% of those people went on to live a fruitful life for Jesus Christ. 
and they, they bore fruit in keeping with repentance. But the, the reality is they probably went different directions, and that's what this parable really is about. It's about different kinds of hearts and how those hearts respond to the gospel message and then what, what happens after based on that. So it helps us understand evangelism better. It gives us a little peek into the kingdom of God and the, the message that our Lord references in this parable is he refers to it as the kingdom message. What is the kingdom message? Easy one, right? It is that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He was crucified, punished for us, and he rose from the dead three days later so that we could live new life in Jesus. So verse 1 of the passage in Matthew 13 says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Now we know from the the past couple parable sermons we've heard that some of the parables were shared privately with the disciples and some were very public. This one is very public and very crowded. It was on a beach and it was so crowded that the crowd pushed the Lord out onto the boat and he had to stand there so everybody could hear what he had to say. Very public, very crowded. And he told them, verse 3, many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. I want to stop there, and I want to talk about what is a sower in the spiritual sense. Some would answer and say, it's the preacher, right? Preacher's up here throwing the seed of the gospel. Some would say, it's Jesus. And both are right. I would go further. I would say anyone who has been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ to go and proclaim it is a sower. So that means everybody who knows the Lord. And if you're in this room today and you know the Lord, you are a sower. We are sowers. The seed. The seed is, of course, the good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the best news, I'd say. Where do we get this seed? It comes from the Lord. We didn't make it. He planned and provided the seed. He prepared it carefully and provided it to us. And as disciples and sowers, we we fill our baskets with this good news, right? We fill it. And we keep filling it. We fill it and we share it and we keep filling it. We stay connected to him. We stay close to him. It's not a one-time and done kind of deal. The field. Who saw the sign above the door out in the hallway leaving the building? It says, Mission Field This Way. I love that sign. So the field in this context is the whole world, right? The mission field, you might think it's some exotic place where you've got to buy plane tickets and get some shots and go visit people and learn a new language. Certainly that's the mission field. But our mission field is everywhere. It's the whole planet, right? 
It's our next door. It's the store down the street. It's our neighborhood. It's our church. Now, when you think of a field ready to be farmed or has been farmed, ready to plant seed, maybe you're like me. And you picture flying in an airplane, looking out the window, and you're, maybe you're low enough to catch some farms, and it's like this, these perfectly symmetrical plots of land all over the place, different colors maybe, perfectly ro- straight rows of fruit or nuts or whatever it is. Or maybe I have, good, I have memories of driving from San Diego up to here to Seattle and um, going through the California Central Valley. It's a little dull, I'm not going to lie. It's the breadbasket. You look out the window and you see these rows of bushes of almond trees and citrus trees just whipping by. It's amazing how they do that. We're talking about the ancient Middle East. They weren't quite that precise. They weren't meticulously planned and and plotted out like we have. They didn't have GPS to help them out. They just designated an area for planting they would probably plow it in a circular pattern. So you have this maybe squarish plot of land plowed in a circular pattern. So there's some soil that has been plowed. It's ready. There's some soil in the corners that didn't quite get plowed. In those corners, you would find probably some happy weeds getting ready to grow. There were probably some rocks under there. Maybe not visible to the eye. There, maybe there was a, a rock landed or it got under the soil, and then over time, soil will be on the top of it. So it looks good, but there's a rock under there's rocks underneath. You would have some soil that was trampled, right? The farmers walking back and forth. It was very common in those days uh, for people to cut through people's farms to stay off the main road. The roads were somewhat dangerous. So they would cut through, and you'd have these little paths worked through the people's land. Hard ground. So we basically are going to deal with four different kinds of hearts this morning, and for a bit of fun, I decided to name them. I should correct myself. My wife, Stacy, named them. That was her job. She did well. If you have any, any complaints... She's wearing a very bright pink shirt. You can, talk, you can talk to her after. So in verse 4, we talk about Callus Calvin. And you can, you can take a wild guess which one that is. About him, it says, And he, as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Now, I don't know if you recall when Pastor John shared a couple weeks back. It was really good. Learned a t- it was very encouraging. I learned a lot. Um, and John, one of the things John shared was that it was maybe the most difficult parable to teach on. There was something like 15 conclusions you could come to from that parable. Well, I, purely by accident or God's provision, I have chosen the parable that has the answers in the back. <laughs> so if you skip down to verse 19, you see the Lord explaining the parable. I didn't do it on purpose, guys. But I am happy. In verse 19, it says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
So this hard ground. So you picture all these pictures, this plot of land, all these various soils, and the, the uh, sower's got his basket, and he's just scattering it, right? And it's bouncing everywhere. Some of it's getting in the right spot. Some of it's getting on the path. Some of it's getting in the weeds. Imprecise. He spreads seeds indiscriminately. So the heart is hard ground. They don't, when the seed lands on hard ground, it doesn't find soil that it can get under. So the sun comes out and scorches it, and it dies. It doesn't find moisture and nutrients. It does not take root, much less actually produce any fruit. Charles Haddon Spurgeon would refer to this kind of heart as a hearer because they hear, but nothing happens. There's no change. So Calvin, maybe he hears the gospel from his neighbor. He has a Christian neighbor who's concerned for his soul, shares with him. Maybe he's got a relative, someone who cares about him telling him about Jesus. He just hears. Maybe he even attends church. Church is a great place. It's objectively good to be at church, whether you know the Lord or not, right? I came in this morning out of the bitter cold. I'm not bitter, but it was bitter cold. I came in, there were smiling, happy people that somehow at 8 a.m. smiling and happy. Can't, I can't explain that one. I came, there was breakfast. People were saying hello and smiling and shaking my hand. That's pretty good. Then the service started. You come into the, into the auditorium. You experience the full liturgy of our service. This morning, the liturgy was, has been so good, I feel like my job was already done. Like It's, it's so well planned, and the songs are perfect for the message and the, the verses and it's great. We have, a, we have an amazing band. So you all these good things, right? Good music. The, the people playing are skilled. They know what they're doing. The lead singer is, has emotion in his voice. He believes what he's singing. He's really worshiping God, and you feel drawn in. That's good worship. That's the worship we had this morning. We are blessed. The preacher is passionate about what he's saying. He believes what he's saying. He is experienced. He can turn a phrase. He can make you think. He can illustrate a picture with words and make you see pictures. He has skill. Coming to church makes you respectable. Maybe Calvin wants to be respectable. Maybe his life has been arranged Just so, and he figures, hey, let's add some church. Couldn't hurt, right? So he comes. He hears from his neighbors and his his loved ones, and he hears from the preacher over and over again. He hears this gospel message over and over. And the the seed of the gospel just slides right over his heart. He comes in, and he's not expecting to hear from God. He doesn't come in with an anticipation that God is going to speak truth to his heart and he's going to experience a heart-level change. 
He has no desire to hear from God. How does a heart get to this place? That hard place. Well, it is, unfortunately, since the fall, it is, it's the natural state of our heart. We're born like that, aren't we? We're born hard-hearted since that fall. Sin entered the world and everything was tainted. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The birds in the parable, Jesus said plainly, it's the enemy. Who is this enemy? Maybe we don't talk about him a lot, but we have a very real enemy, Satan, who hates everything that God loves. God loves the gospel, God loves his children, he loves families, he loves marriage. And Satan hates all those things. And he will do whatever it takes to snatch blessings away from people, to snatch the gospel out of someone's heart, draw us away from the good news. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's a sad state. That brings us to Jagged Jared. It's intuitive, right? You know what Jagged Jared is. It's the heart with rocks in it. The rocky soil. In verse 5 it says, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. So you picture that rock just underneath the surface and some, some soil on top. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. There's promise. But since there wasn't much soil, they sprang up. Well, there was, the, there was a sprout. You see a sprout. But there was no depth of soil. There was, again, no access to moisture, no access to nutrition. And the sun rose, and it didn't make it. The Lord explains it this way. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, Receives it with joy, he has no root in himself. But he endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As it happens, I personally know a Jared. I'm going to share a little bit about him. His name's not Jared, protecting the innocent. This Jared, he actually became a believer not long after I did. I was saved in July of 1993. 19 years old. Jared saw. He saw this. 
He saw joy. He saw happiness. He saw peace. He saw a changed life. And he wanted that. He asked me if I would take him to home fellowship. Of course. And I say no to that. It's an easy one, right? I didn't have to drag him. He got into the word. He asked questions, good questions. He was sincere. So the December following my conversion, Christmas Eve, I invited Jared to come. Join, join us for that. It was a Calvary Chapel-style Christmas Eve service. Powerful gospel message. Everyone was encouraged to bring people who didn't know Jesus. They came along. At the end of the service, there was an altar call. An altar call, that's something we do a lot of here. But we were invited. I looked over and he was a mess. He had tears running down his face. Something happened. Something stirred in his heart. Something real was going on. He said he wanted to go forward and give his life to Jesus. He asked me if I would take him. Of course. I am rejoicing. The witnesses that are in the room are rejoicing. This is why we're here. To see the lost saved. See them found. So he continued. He stayed in the word, went to church, had good talks. I lost touch with him a little bit here and there. Saw him in San Diego this past summer. Caught up a bit. About three weeks after I got home, back up here to Washington, Jerry gave me a call. It had taken him a while to call. He felt like I was going to be disappointed or hurt or mad or reject him or it was something silly. But he called to let me know he was not a Christian. He was not a follower of Jesus. He was trying to live his life according to the faith of another person. It wasn't personal. I imagine he saw goodness in believers and he wanted that. So he began doing what he saw them do, following the same pattern. And I'm, I think he probably looked at me and thought I was doing the same thing. I was just following this pattern. It was just a, an accessory to my life. So he admitted that there was no real change. There was no repentance Third in our list is Weedy Wendy. Verse 7 says, Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And the Lord explains it this way. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this heart is fertile. Weeds can grow there, right? There's enough moisture and and nutrition for weeds. 
Unfortunately, the weeds in this heart are, in this soil are too many and too strong. And so the good fruit, it can't find a place. It dies. I think up here you'd call that moss, wouldn't you? My neighbor who went through this process in his yard, like getting rid of moss, is a bear. His whole yard was moss, and he had to like shave off the whole top layer of it, get rid of it, and then plant seeds for grass and carefully do water that. He, he recovered it, but it was a job. Weeds are strong. So, what were these cares of the world? When I hear the word care, I think maybe anxiety or worry, but it's not really anxiety and worry. Although if you, if you focus your care on the cares of the world, you probably end up there. You probably end up with anxiety and worry. But it is what the world cares about, what is more important in the world than the kingdom. We have this amazing ability right now through technology to understand what the world is thinking because the whole world is online and they're sharing 24 hours a day. The world cares about power, power over others, power over their own lives, wanting to carefully arrange their lives a certain way. Fame, they want to be known. Certainly, this isn't, a, this isn't a new story. The world cares about wealth. The promise of wealth and that it'll make everything okay if you just have enough money. Popularity. People to, who know you and like you to be liked. A validation. We value that. If you look at TikTok and Instagram and any social media, it's very clear that we're going there for popularity, validation. We want to be heard. Right? Our opinion is paramount. It's important. It makes us who we are. We have to be heard. We want to be accepted. These things are more important to this heart than spiritual things. Social media makes it very clear that these things give us value as human beings. So we have this amazing God-given imagination, right? We have an intellect. We can invent things, vision. And that is coupled with a natural desire to worship. We want to worship. We're wired to worship. These things were given to us so that we could praise and glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen? But what we do is we take all these gifts, I picture it like the Israelites, the children of Israel, taking all their treasures, all their gifts, their gold, and then melting it down and then creating a golden calf and worshiping that calf as if it can do anything for them. It's a dead thing. We create false gods. John Calvin, in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, said, 
we may infer that the human mind is, so to speak, a perpetual forge of idols. Perpetual forge of idols. That one stings. Because he's not talking about non-believers. He's talking about humans. Every human that's ever lived. That is where our heart is. But now on to the good news. We're going to talk about Fred the Fruitful. Yay! Save it for the end. Verse 8, it says, Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Amen to that. The Lord explains it this way. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, there is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, and in another case, 60, in another, 30. This was a fertile heart that had been carefully prepared by the Lord to receive the good news. It got under the dirt. It got sun, water, nutrition. It germinated. That magical part that we can't control. Farmers are very technical. They cannot make germination happen. They have to trust the Lord for that. I liken it to going out fishing. I love fishing. You can be skilled. You can have the right gear. You can have the right bait. You can know where you are and where the fish are. At, at some point in that transaction, something's got to bring that fish to that hook. I believe that's the Lord. This is the soul over which it says in Luke fifteen ten, the angels in heaven rejoice. This is the soul that longs for God. In Jeremiah 42, 1 and 2, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Do we have that urgency in our heart? I want to meet God. This heart is fruitful. This heart looks for opportunities to meet with the Father. This is the, what we want, right? We want this for ourselves. We want this for our loved ones, our neighbors. This is the heart we want. So what can we do? What part do we play? The amazing thing is we actually play a part. Think of, think of the story of salvation that God painted. He didn't do it in, a, in some reactive way after the fall. He wasn't cobbling something together. He had a story of salvation ready to go before time began. And we can participate. How do we do that? We, how we don't do that, to use poor grammar, don't be like me and take this passage that we've been reading and think, this is some great intel. I'm going to figure out my neighbor and know if he's this hard or that hard and decide who's most worthy of hearing it. Gross, guys. 
That's a natural response, right? It's natural for us to treat people as problems. But they're not problems. They are image bearers of God, and they need Jesus. And only the Lord has the wisdom and strength to change these people from the inside. So we need to put our hope in him. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7, Paul says, I planted, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Why is that good news? Because the pressure is off. What do we have to do? We have to believe, based on this passage, that there is hope of redemption for every heart described here in this parable. There's no room for despair. He can do it. We need to be praying. We need to pray for those people. We need to pray for ourselves that we would have the sense of urgency for these souls that God has. The same sense of urgency. Are you willing to put off your comfort for a soul? What would you do to save a life? Would you miss a meeting? Would you be late for the movie? Yeah. Right? It's priorities. Pray for urgency for spiritually lost people. All of them. This isn't about sentimentality, right? Pray for the people you like. Pray for the ones you don't like. These are image bearers of God who need Jesus. And also pray that the master gardener, like Pastor Aaron referenced in the dead fig tree parable, that he would come and prepare that heart. Because it doesn't matter to him. What did that parable say? Let me at that fig tree. I will bu- I'll build a trench around it. I will water it and feed it. It will grow fruit. He can make fruit grow anywhere. He can make that heart ready to receive the gospel and bear fruit to righteousness Let's not be focused on numbers. I don't really see that here, honestly, in this church. But focusing on conversions, whether it's public professions of faith, a commitment card, a hand raised, God is not impressed by numbers. He is wise and he sees through the human spectacle, <clears throat> our spectacle, right to our heart. He knows it. He sees through the heart of every single person. He knows the past, present, and future of every person who's ever lived. I don't know how he does it. He just does. Let us not focus on conversions, but rather, or church membership, but rather, but lives bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance. 
because he can do it. To close, I want to ask a couple of questions for, for introspection, some life application. The first question is, as a believer, what kind of soil is your heart? It's not a simple answer. I believe that at, at any given stage or circumstance in my life, I've been all of those. Anyone else? Sometimes I feel like my heart is hard. Sometimes it feels rocky. Sometimes it's ready. Sometimes there are too many weeds. Sometimes the very gifts that God gives to us becomes an idol. Family, a spouse, money, great church. We do have some tools as believers, right? We do have some tools in our tool belt, so to speak. We can till our hearts. We can help make that soul ready. We have God's spoken word. We have the fellowship of other believers. We have a very powerful tool in prayer. Second question is, who do you need to share the good news with? Maybe that's someone new you've been thinking about, you haven't talked to them yet. Maybe it's someone you've been talking to for 10 years, and they are stubborn. And you're like, why am I going to waste another word on this human? You wait, and you wait patiently because you believe that God can reach them at a heart level. He is the master gardener. He can produce that fruit. Maybe you guys are like me. And you look in the mirror and you see, oh man, there's so much work to be done. Man, this road's going to be long, right? We have a very real sense of our own sin, right? That's kind of the, the catch-22 of Maturing as a believer is like the closer you get to Jesus, that light, the dirtier you seem to look, right? It's hard. Do that in a healthy way. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I also want you to, I encourage you to look back on your life from the day you came to know the Lord to today. And I want you to look and remember the fruit that God has produced in your life. Celebrate that. Thank God for that. And that hope, that joy, that peace will give you what you need for the next leg of the race. You can go to that stubborn person over and over again. It's fuel in the tank. So when you find yourself in that place, working in your own strength, having doubts. Just remember, God knows you. He knows the people you're talking to. His gospel plan cannot fail. And we get to participate in that. We get to, like Apollos and Paul, we get to sow seeds. We get to water. And we get to watch God harvest. 
good fruit from people. His heart's changed. People walking with Jesus, wholehearted disciples of the Lord. We can watch it happen. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for explaining yourself, telling us who you are, showing us your heart. Thank you, Lord, that when we look out into the world and we see difficulty and strife and pain and sin, we don't have to be despairing because you have the victory. Thank you for those who you've put in our lives that need to hear from you. Give us courage, not that that comes from confidence or intense Bible study, but a courage that comes from love, a boldness that comes from love to tell the gospel to our neighbor. Give us the same sense of urgency for our neighbor that you have because we are comfortable in our lives. We don't want to face rejection, Lord, Lord, but help us to see that lives are at stake, souls are at stake. Thank you for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. May he guide us into all truth. And may you be glorified, Lord, because you are worthy of all glory and all praise. In Jesus' name, amen.